Good morning, Crosswalk. So good to be here with you guys. You know, I was thinking during the worship set, I was thinking, I was thinking what the devil must be thinking when Jordan straps on his guitar. He must be like, oh no. Oh no, when Ashley stands up and picks up a microphone, the devil's like, no, I can't, not, not this time. When Janelle, on time, <laughs> runs up here and starts to share. When Michelle sings the notes that she sings. And when this whole team prepares in prayer, in thought, and comes up here to do battle with the devil every single week. Let's just thank them right now, you guys. We are so blessed by the ministry that you guys do and Isai and his team does. Just thank you all so much. It's just incredible. Um, you guys are lucky that you came at 1030. Um, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. Um, I'm leaving after this service. Um, a, good, a good buddy of mine, his father died and his father's overseas, he's not able to go there. So a few of us are flying um, to go see him and be with him on his first Father's Day without his dad. And so um, thank you for that graciousness of letting me go do that. So they're gonna watch the 9 a.m. on the screen, the 9 a.m. sermon on the screen. And so you, this is the last real me, you have to suffer through me. So sorry. <laughs> I hope it's all right. Um, but I'm going to kind of head out here pretty quickly afterwards. So thank you for that. Um, there was a, a discussion of could I make it if I preached at the noon and it would be within like five minutes of making the flight. So we decided to go that way. So this is, by the way, this is what Chattanooga every single week they get to watch on a screen and that sort of thing. So eventually you guys will get it here at the 1032 for some reason. Maybe because I just don't want to preach. Maybe I'll just be like, nah, I'm staying in my office. I got a nice coffee. Play, run tape. Can we do that? That'd be cool. Um, anyway, thank you. Th hey, and thank you. Um, you know, the, the 9 a.m. mass service and then the, the mask optional services. Thank you for working with us. This is all brand new territory to us. And we're really appreciative of, um, you know, you being inclusive in the way you, you may think differently, but, but, you know, there are still some people who are not ready to come into a room unless everyone has a mask and we want to honor them as well. So luckily we've got options and we really appreciate that, um, you know, as we come back, we'll just continue seeing if there's no need for it, we'll eventually move away from that as well. So we'll just make all that happen. So thanks for being flexible people. We're in a series called Pause, and this is our third week. And did you hear Pastor Mike's sermon last week? Come on. Come on. Yeah. No, I know it's a good sermon when no one asks when I'm coming back. We don't care. That we know. And I went up to go pick up my daughter. My daughter's home from college. So Hannah, it's so good to have you here. Um, super exciting. Anyway, that's, that's enough preliminaries. Let's get back into this. Like I got to preach a sermon apparently. Um, I got a question for you today for this service, this sermon. Is your Sabbath too small? I'm going to ask this question again at the end, but I want you to think about that. Is your Sabbath too small? It's kind of the overarching question for today. Because you know, we've been good. We've been good at making Sabbath a day and keeping a day and making sure we understand that. But I wonder sometimes, have we focused so much on a day that we've missed the whole idea of the Sabbath? Have we been so careful to keep something that we have forgotten to live in a way that is life-giving, which is what the Sabbath was given for in the first place? And so we got to take a look 
right? We got to take a look at that commandment and we'll take a look at the commandment, but we're also going to take a look at the context because we can't talk about Sabbath without talking about the Egyptian narrative in scripture. And I don't know how many of you have this in your mind, but that is the picture of Moses I will forever have, right? Charlton Heston carrying those, which by the way, I don't think that's Hebrew. I took Hebrew. I don't think that's Hebrew. I don't know what that is. On a huge, a huge Hollywood set, nobody went, it's not Hebrew, man. Somebody should have said that, but it's like a weird, I don't know what it is. Um, I think it's sort of an attempt at Greek. Anyway, so those are, that was one of the movies I could watch on Sabbath growing up. So I watched that movie a lot. And then there was another one with Sir Anthony Hopkins about the life of Paul that I watched, which was awesome until I watched Silence of the Lambs and was super confused. What is Paul doing? It was very disconcerting. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. I knew the difference at that point, but still it was, you know. Um, but there's this commandment, right? To remember the Sabbath, all right? So we can't deal with the Sabbath without thinking about the 10 commandments. And by the way, I'm not gonna actually go through the fourth commandment because most of us as grew up, growing up, even if you can't remember all the rest, that's the one you learned, right? And you learned it King James Version. You had to, right? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. We don't say shalt ever. Shalt you be going to the store? If you say that, say that to your spouse sometime. I shall be going to the grocery store. But we got to think about why they were given. And we have to think about the context in which they were given, which is really important. But here's the thing we got to understand. The commandment looks back on a God who rests. Like it, it shows up as the fourth commandment, one, two, three. So there's three before that talk about a God who rests, right? The three before talk about a God who rests. And you have the Sabbath commandment right here. And, and the theologian Patrick Miller calls this commandment the crucial bridge between the God who rests and the commandments for us to be neighbors who rest together. I mean, if you think about that, Amen. if you live in a community where people are, you know, um, sleeping with each other's spouses, are killing each other, are stealing, with each, stealing from each other, are bearing false witness, there's not a lot of rest in that community. But when those last commandments are kept, we are a community that rests. And we echo a God who rests that we see in those first three commandments. That's the way that works. But we cannot look into this commandment without being drawn into the Egyptian narrative. Because this commandment does not happen in a vacuum. Rather, it's enunciated in the context of Egypt and slavery. So it begins like this, Exodus 20, verse 2. It says, I am the Lord, your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. So Sabbath commandment, it's drawn into the Exodus narrative. For the God who rests is the God who emancipates us from slavery and from the work system of Egypt and from the gods of Egypt who require and legitimize that work system. So Sabbath, in essence, becomes a hallmark in God's march against slavery. And I mentioned this in the first week, that the Sabbath pushes back or the Sabbath resists against the idea of work with diminishing rewards and work that is actually slavery. And in this context, we see it 
expressed even more profoundly. In fact, Walter Brueggemann in his book, The Sabbath as Resistance, says it this way. He says, in the narrative imagination of Israel, the gods of Egypt are stand-ins for the gods of several empires. What they all have in common is that they are confiscatory gods. Remember those words. They are confiscatory gods who demand endless produce and who authorize endless systems of production that are, in principle, insatiable. Thus, the mention of Egypt brings the God of Israel into the orbit of socioeconomic systems and practices and inevitably sets this God on a collision course with the gods of insatiable productivity. Confiscatory gods, we're going to lean into that word, those words a little bit. Gods that take and take. Gods that demand more and more with less and less. Gods that create an economy of scarcity among those who believe in them. And scarcity leads to greed. Don't believe me? Let's go back to Exodus. Exodus chapter 5, verse 4. Pharaoh replied, Moses and Aaron, why are you distracting the people from their task? Get back to work. Now, let me give you some context to that, right? Moses um, is called by God to go set his, his, God's people free from Egypt. He doesn't really want to do it. He says, I'm really not good at speaking. And God says, fine, take Aaron. Which, interesting in the rest of the story, Aaron doesn't say all that much, right? So apparently, like, he just needed a hype man. Right? So Moses walks in in front of Aaron, and I mean in front of Pharaoh, and Aaron's like, yeah, what he said. Come on. Like, I think that's all that Aaron did. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But um, he might, I mean, Pharaoh recognizes him, right? And, and so they say, hey, you need to let these people go. And this is Pharaoh's reply, right? Hey, why, why are you distracting these people from their task? Because apparently these people only had one reason to be there to work, right? And he says, look, there are many people, many of your people in the land, and you are stopping them from their work. You see, Pharaoh was focused on the product, not the people. And when your God is a confiscatory God, the product is always going to be more important than the people. When your gods demand product, it creates an economy of scarcity which leads to greed, which leads to slavery. And living in that kind of an economy means that people are secondary to what they produce. And when people are secondary to what they produce, people become slaves. And we're talking about this today on Juneteenth, right? June 19. And the reason why we celebrate that, and I'm very excited that we made it a federal holiday, and let me tell you why. Because... A, we need to remember in order to not repeat. We need to remember in order to not repeat. In, 19, in 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, arguably freeing the slaves, but it took two more years until June 19, 1865 for Texas to be forced to free their slaves. Why? Because slavers believe in confiscatory gods. Slavers believe that it's product, not people. And sometimes the moral compass of a nation has to be reminded to not become slavers. And sometimes people have to be reminded 
not to put themselves under economic systems that create slaves of themselves. And so I'm glad that we're here. Because slavery is a direct result of a belief in a confiscatory God. Oh, and money is a confiscatory God. An economy that depends only on product will always oppress people and demand more, will always crush the most vulnerable, and will always take advantage of the power that is given. So, so Pharaoh knows this. And Pharaoh says this. That same day, he sent the order to the Egyptian slave drivers and the Israelite foremen. See, here's the thing. In a confiscatory system, you can have trajectory. You can rise up. You just have to bow to that system. And there were Israelites who were bowing to that system to oppress their own people. That's why Pharaoh said, tell them this, both the Egyptian slave drivers and Israelites foremen, do not supply them with any more straw for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves. More with less. That's always going to be the call of confiscatory gods. More with less. This is scarcity economics. This is believing there is not enough provided by God and provided by the God who loves you and, by the way, created the universe and, by the way, as Scripture says, owns the cattle on 10,000 hills, right? This is a, a direct disbelief that God's going to provide for you. When we believe in the economy of scarcity, it means that we have overtaken God's provision and think that we got to provide for ourselves. Because it says in Hezekiah 7.17, right? God helps those who helps themselves. Just think about it a little more. Some of you are way too ready to agree with me. Amen. Wait a second. There's no Hezekiah 7.17. And God helps those who help themselves is not in Scripture. That's not what Scripture says. Pharaoh continues, still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Quotas are important in a scarcity economy because we just got to make sure we're getting up to that line. Don't reduce the quota. Oh, and by the way, the reason why we don't want to reduce the quota is because those people are lazy. You know why they were lazy? because they were asking for a Sabbath. You see that? That's why they are crying out. They're lazy. That's why they're crying out, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. They were saying, let us have a Sabbath. We need to step out of your economic system for just a moment. We need to be able to worship our God. And you know, it's weird. I'd never connected that text to Sabbath before, before right now, before preaching this sermon. I never realized that that's what they were asking for. They were saying, hey, we need, to, we, need, we need a pause. A system of scarcity will not recognize people and will, in fact, vilify those people with labels and with diminishing humanity. Because the moment you can say, oh, they're weak, oh, they're dumb, or they're lazy, or they're stupid, they're no longer people. They're things that we can diminish. And when we diminish things, when we diminish people as things, we oppress them because they're not people. So it's okay. And our morality is not hurt even though we do horrible things. That comes from a scarcity economy. That comes from believing, believing in confiscatory gods. And so Pharaoh says this, listen, load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That'll teach them to listen to lies, unreasonable demands. Production becomes the purpose of the economy. 
And by the way, it's not because the Egyptians didn't have enough. Do you know where the Israelites were working? They were working in supply cities. You know what those are? Probably not. Supply cities were cities that was just hoarding to make sure that Egypt didn't have any issues when the next famine came. I think we have this picture, maybe it was from the Ten Commandments, I can't remember. We have this picture of the Israelites like working on the pyramids. The pyramids had been there for like a, like a couple thousand years. <laughs> they were super old. They were already de decaying by the time the, uh, the Israelites were there, right? They were building up the supplies that the Egyptians were hoarding. But understand this, when production is the point, there can be no Sabbath rest. In this system, the idea of Sabbath is seen as laziness, as swath, even as a legal issue. Like we should put them in jail because they're, they're not working. So this is the context of the commandment. This is where the commandment shows up in this context. It wasn't just an expansion of what had happened at creation. It was a response because it requires no imagination to see that the Exodus memory and consequently the Sinai commandment, that fourth commandment that came out of it, are performed in a no Sabbath environment. In that context, all level of social powers, gods, pharaohs, supervisors, taskmasters, and slaves are uniformly caught up in and committed to the grind of relentless and endless production. Do you ever feel like that? Do you answer this question, what'd you do this, or how, how are things going? Did you, do you answer this question as busy? Do you talk about the rat race? Do you talk about wanting to get ahead? Do you understand? We've bought into a system of scarcity. We do not live lives of abundance. And we were taught this from a very early age. Sabbath is given as freedom from the economy of scarcity. It reminds us not to hoard wealth and surplus, but to give it away, to share, to cease to see life as production and product, but as people and passion and even playfulness. Have you ever had a day where you didn't do anything? But did you feel bad about it? You know, those days when you look at your Netflix and you're like, I watched the whole series. <laughs> and then you're like, it was probably a short series. <laughs> and then you look and you're on season four and 22 episodes of each one. And you're like, my, where does the time go? I know where it goes. Netflix has stolen it from you. But you know what? Sometimes that's okay. Sometimes we're not called to be productive. Sometimes we're called to lean into our passions. Sometimes we're called just to lean into people and just to listen. Sometimes we're called into just playfulness, just to enjoy life and this world that God created. Sometimes you need a pause because life is not all about production. So even though the Sabbath was given in creation, here in this commandment we see that Sabbath is a resistance against slavery economic slavery, work slavery, and even ideological slavery, because you know we're, we're slaves to the ideologies that we, that we throw out there all the time. You know that for once, can you take a Sabbath from your political ideas and see the brothers and sisters that sit around you? For once, can you put down the fight that you've been in and be part of the community of God and the body of Christ? Sabbath allows for that. No, Sabbath demands it. 
Sabbath demands it. That you live beyond even your ideological ideas for a moment and live into what God wants from you. Sabbath reminds us that there are things that are more important than production, more important than income, more important than amassing stuff. Because on Sabbath, we give away. We give away our time. We give away our tithes. We give away our offerings. Sometimes we give away our focus on our success. Sometimes we give away our goals and put them up on the shelf for a moment. We give away everything. We give it away and we subordinate these things to the relationship we have with God and with other people. Because in the end, that's the fulfillment of the law, right? What fulfills the law? And I'm talking about the Decalogue. I'm talking about the Ten Commandments. I'm talking about the 611 other commandments that they built around them as a hedge around the law. I'm talking about all of that. What fulfills the law? We know who it is. It's Jesus, right? Absolutely, it's Jesus. But Paul reminds us of how we fulfill the law. In Romans 13, he says this, owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law, right? Love is the fulfillment of the law that was given. So, man, if Paul understood that, then he understood the fourth commandment too. And he understood the fourth commandment is a law of love. However you've experienced before, it's a law of love. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, right? You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the words of the law being fulfilled. It doesn't mention Sabbath specifically here, but it does mention this in the very next verse. Love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. You cannot love without freedom from production. I'm going to say that again to make sure that you understand this connection. You cannot love without freedom from production. If you mean something to my bottom line, and I said this before, if you mean something to my bottom line, I cannot love you in the way that I'm being asked to love you on Sabbath. When you walk into this room, I don't care about your position. I don't care about your title. I don't care about your bottom line. It doesn't matter. You're a child of God. You're sitting in a blue chair and you belong. It doesn't matter who you are at, at that big institution over there or, or that big institution over there. I'm just pointing in directions now. There's big institutions everywhere. I'm like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Your boss sitting in this room with you today, she's not your boss. She's a child of God. Right? So you got to love her today. And she's got to love you. Sabbath is resistance against the tyranny of scarcity. And it leads us to recognize the abundance of God. By the way, what does abundance bring? It brings things like generosity. Abundance brings humility. And here's the crazy thing. It is in the abundance where we find rest. That's why you need a Sabbath. Because you've been chasing things for too long. Good things, bad things. We've been chasing things for so long, and on Sabbath, you don't have to chase anymore because God's going to provide. 
I even said that wrong. It's not that God's gonna provide. It's that he has. That's what the pause is. It's rest from the tyranny of production, rest from the constant striving that allows us to be slaves or slavers. But you don't get to the Sabbath unless you allow God to bring you to the Sabbath. Right? Some of us work so hard to get a Sabbath that it's not a Sabbath anymore because we're working so hard to get to it, to keep it in the right way. And some of us, and I said this before too, some of us have been keeping the right day in the wrong way so long we've never experienced a Sabbath. We're going to sing this song. It's called Lean Back. And the first line of the song kills me every time, especially in this context. It said, you've brought me here to rest and given me space to breathe. So I'll stay until it sinks in. We have to be led to this place by Jesus. Sabbath is time. We have to be led to this place by Jesus. It means we have to step aside and lean back into the attention of the Sabbath. Because Jesus embodies what the Sabbath should be. You got to think about this for a moment. Jesus didn't produce anything. Jesus didn't write a book. Right? He wasn't headed to Jerusalem for a book signing. Jesus didn't build churches. Jesus didn't build institutions to his name. His work does not exist in brick and mortar, in money by the mountains. Rather, his work is in the heart of the people that he loved. His economy was love and his purpose was you. I wonder how it is that the Christian church has bought into the economies of Egypt and forgotten about the abundance of God. I ask the question at the top, I'll ask it again. Do we diminish Sabbath to just a day? The song says, and I'll stay here until I'm in it. Is your Sabbath just a day? And you go, okay, I got to think about it now. Now I got I to change the way that I live my life and enter into the Sabbath. I got to change, change all the ways, all the production, all the, all the way I think about the world. I got to change that for today. I'll put that on hold for a day. Maybe we're doing it wrong. If we have to change the way we live our lives to enter into the Sabbath. Maybe the Sabbath is bigger than a day. Maybe the Sabbath is something that exists in our heart in the way that we view the world, in the way that we view people, in the way that we view economy, in the way that we view how we should live our lives. Because when you've tasted the Sabbath and what it means to be free from that kind of production for your value, for your worth, for your identity, when you experience that, you don't want it one day a week. You want it every moment of every day because that's how you breathe in the love of God. That's how you know that he is good. And then you see people so differently that all you want to do is fulfill the law of God, which is loving them. Don't make your Sabbath so small that you miss it. 
Let it spill over the edges. Stop protecting them. Let it grow into the next day. Let it grow into the next week. Let it go from your heart to your head to your hands. So what you're striving for ceases to be the things that you think you have to have and understand that God will provide what you need. Don't diminish your Sabbath. Expand it. Let it grow. And let it become that crucial bridge that connects the God who rests to the community who rests in Him. Let's bow our heads. Come on, Lord. Be here and we lean into you. Lord, keep blowing breath into the Sabbath. Like that balloon that starts small, but as your breath moves into it, it grows and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It encompasses the world. It lifts us up and takes us to heaven. May we never be satisfied with a 24-hour moment in time, but let us live that eternal moment every day, that moment of pause that transcends the economies of this world and moves us into the economies of Sabbath, of abundance, of grace, and of love. And Lord, as we sing this song, bring us here to rest. In your name I pray, amen.